Welcome to the Struggling Pastors Podcast, real conversations about ministry and life. My name is Tian Doan, and I am a struggling pastor. Today, we have a really special interview. Um, I'm interviewing a friend of mine. His name is Mark Lee, a pastor of a large growing church in the Los Angeles area, Vantage Point Church and. Man, they're just doing great. Uh, they just moved into a brand new, beautiful building and they're growing. They sent out uh, a church planter and they're working on, on planting more churches and they're just doing great. But in this interview, we talk about how Mark had, in the midst of uh, this pandemic, how he struggled, how he had a panic attack. And, and we talked about, we're going to talk about self-care and balance and, and having rhythms and being intentional about about healthy habits in your life so it's a really really encouraging episode and uh, we're going to hear from pastor mark lee today on the show I have a friend of mine. His name is Mark Lee. Mark is a pastor in the Los Angeles area, and um, he's a good friend. And we're just going to be talking about uh, ministry and life and going to get real and raw a little bit. Mark, um, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Tian. I'm totally stoked to be here. Mark, uh, first off, I just wanted to reconnect with you and just ask you a simple question. Like, how are you doing? What's new? Oftentimes, uh, when I uh, gather, I ask them, ask people to share their peaks and their pits. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, like I said, Tian, thanks so much for having me on the show. Like, um, we've known each other, I think, for about a year now. Uh, we met each other at the gathering last year, right? Yep. And uh, hey, one of the things that I absolutely love about you is that is it is not only apparent, like I've had a chance to even listen to some of your messages during the pandemic. And number one, not only are you a great communicator with a great heart for the Lord, that is so apparent in the way that you communicate. But I love the fact that through your podcast, through even your role with the Send Network, it's apparent that you love pastors too. You love pastors. I love pastors. So I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing with this. But, but. Peaks and pits. I would say uh, a peak for me has definitely been the fact that our church is uh, uh, has just opened up our permanent facility. So after being portable for 13 years as a church, we had seven 24-foot trailers that we would tow in at 6 o'clock in the morning to a high school. We would do church all day. For many seasons, we had a fourth service where we wouldn't tow out until 9 o'clock at night. And and finally, after 13 years and eight years of raising funds and casting vision for this uh, permanent uh, lighthouse that we have in our community, finally we've opened it. And so that has been super exciting. I've been telling our church, we've been talking about this boat, talked about this boat eight years ago when it wasn't even raining. Well, it just started raining and the boat is now done. And so there are a lot of people in our church that have been super excited about that. I would say yeah. a challenge. You know, I would say a challenge, somebody just asked me that from church the other day. They're like, oh, I know that this must be a difficult season for pastors. It's so divided, racially divided, politically divided. You know, in general, I don't take as much hurt uh, from the people 
that I don't know well, I take more hurt and more challenge and more stress from the people who are closer to me. And so when I receive a lot of complaints about whatever it is that we're doing or saying or not saying from people that I don't have a great relationship with or people who are maybe, um, you know, not as connected to our church, but have a lot to say. I don't take too much offense by that. I think during this season as a leader, it's been my job to keep the staff together. And um, this has just been a high stress season. And so this has been a great and wonderful opportunity for me to shepherd my own staff through all of this stuff. It's required me to um, at times pay attention or even neglect my stuff. There's a season to deal with my stuff and that season has been not now. Um, I think once the season comes to a little bit more of a close, I think it will hit me more than I think it will hit me. But right now, there is a portion of self-care. But as team, my team is struggling in different ways, as my team is different people want to quit, different people you know, want to you know, just show their brokenness in different ways. This is just my time to provide unity, stability for that team. And so I would say the hardest part has just been making sure that I lead my own staff well during this time. That's man, that's a, a huge, huge load that you're carrying. Not not only are you trying to figure out your team, but even moving into that new facility. I, I know working uh, you were mentioning about um, even getting the conditional use permit and all oh, that yeah. stuff. It's just all all the craziness. Uh, man, that's just a, a that's just a lot. It's just it's just a heavy burden, right? Yeah, I think one of the hardest things about a building project, somebody asked me, what was harder, building this building or planting this church? And so I would say that building this building by far was the hardest thing that we've ever done, not only because we still have the weekly grind of church and everything that happened with COVID, but also because this building was so outside of anything I've ever done in my entire life. And I used to be a civil engineer. So I've never raised money for eight years worth of time. I've never had to deal with cities. I've never had to deal with all of the different challenges that we've dealt with. Whereas church planting was a lot of hours and it was a, a very risky and it was very, but there was, but it was what I knew how to do. Yeah. And, and there's and, a reward. Um, it's more tangible. Yeah. Reward to it. Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot of times, a uh, church plant will see its greatest amount of growth in the beginning years. And so even for you to know that your, um, that your efforts are paying off, it's so, uh, it's an adrenaline rush that's, it's invigorating. Uh, there wasn't too much invigorating about this building if I were to be completely honest with you, but Hey, you know, the Lord, uh, call it, calls us to do challenging things. And I've really, Wow, I've just really grown so much during this season about how to develop more uh, toughness and how to develop more of a backbone. You're you're yeah. never as tough as you think until you have to run a marathon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark, your uh, your church is called uh, uh, Vantage Point Church. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, you were famous, yeah, uh, because. Famous. Um, you, you were famous uh, because you were the, the the poster boy for for portable church industries, right? For every church That's planter so uh, uh, at every conference saw a video of you setting up your church. That's and crazy! Your, that you isn't that right? 
say that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people have seen that video, but man, I wa- I watch myself, and I I just. I just feel like I was in such a bad mood that day. Like I'm so serious in that video. I'm not that serious in real life. And I was like, so, I don't know. I was like the Jeremiah, the weeping prophet in that video. I feel like. <laughs> it's, it's to humble you. It's to humble you. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons why I, I asked you to uh, come on board um, and to share your thoughts is this. Uh, I think a couple months ago, I think it might have been in December, you you led a session about about self-care and you talked to a group of church planters in in you know in uh in the LA region just mm-hmm. about self-care during this time and you you were sharing some really open stuff about yourself and, and your your own journey. Um yeah, I, I'm wondering if you, you could um share some of those lessons with us. And First off, the importance of self-care in the ministry. Yeah, I think the importance of self-care is that it's so important just simply because there's no such thing as balance. Um, We we always want to lead towards this balanced life. I think this idea, even work-life balance, uh, even I think really emerged maybe in like the 60s, 70s, 80s. I think as more people... um, started to work, you had more dual income households, everything like that. But, and, and so as, as I felt like, um, at different times, my life was so out, out of balance, you know, church planters. Oh my gosh. I was like, is it possible to teach church planters about balance? As I was a church planter, is it possible to live a life of balance? And so I started looking for examples in the Bible of people who live these totally balanced lives. And I'd love to be able to share some of those examples with you. Uh, we're done. Because there's none. There's none. You know, was Elijah, did did Elijah live this perfectly balanced life? No, he was so imbalanced that he sat underneath a tree and asked God to kill him of all things. Yep. You know, it, we want to look at Jesus in terms of what it means to live this perfectly balanced life. And it says that at, at times that, him and the disciples had worked so much or were so busy doing ministry that they didn't even have have time to eat. The the Mm -hmm. entire town, the entire village was coming to their door. And so I think think for me, it really came to a head because this, um, when the whole pandemic hit, it was, I would say right around June, everything happened with, um, with a lot of the race riots we had been locked down for I don't know how many months at that point with a stay-at-home order. Um, I ended up getting COVID very early on in the pandemic. It was late June. And I remember in that moment just having this panic attack. And and I I, I, I had never experienced anything like that in my life. The, the stress of the building, the stress of ministry, the stress of culture, the stress of isolation, the stress of everything. And I remember even my wife just coming to me and just saying, Hey, like, I think, I I, I think you need help. And so uh, she was like, Hey, have you ever thought about seeing a counselor? And I was like, I don't know, like only every time you ever tell me that. (laughs) And so, and so this is when I really started. um, I mean, this whole idea of, of, 
spiritual health has been um, always pretty important to me. This idea of endurance has always been very important to me because I am a marathon runner. I'm training for a 12-hour race right now that's going to last from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. So this whole idea of putting one step in front of the other has always been extremely important to me. But then with everything that I knew, with everything that I had applied, I had still gotten to a point this summer where I didn't I didn't know if I was going to make it to any type of finish line. So so describe that. I and mean, it's very surprising because this is the thing. On the outside, you you probably don't realize this, but uh you've reached this level of quote unquote success that other pastors look at you and um with envy, right? So they're like, oh, Mark Lee, you know. And uh, because your church has grown and you have, you know, multiple services and it's, it's, it's all this stuff. And, you know, you're a healthy person, you, you but it hits you, yeah. right? You're a great leader and it hit you. You have the right theology. You love Jesus. But yeah. all of a sudden you got this panic attack. I mean, can you, can you describe like what was going on? Describe that for people who maybe um, some early warning signs. Well, what happened to me in the moment was um, I had been, I think you only quarantined now for, now for 10 days. We know so much more about COVID than we did before, than we did back then. I mean, even, even just in terms of the number of days that you quarantine to how it is that you treat it. But I mean, I had been isolating myself for two weeks. We had been dealing with why we're not meeting as a church when other churches are meeting? Why, why aren't we saying this? Why are we saying this? And so I had gotten to a point at night after being separated from my wife and my children for two weeks, sleeping in a room all by myself, watching really nothing but Netflix and having a meal slid to me um, through the door like I was some kind of prison inmate. I remember just, uh, just, uh, just, being in this fog of 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 being so terrified of even the small things you know there's nothing about fear that actually makes sense that's why fear in itself is so illogical right my 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 nine-year-old still can't sleep through the night and she's coming at two o'clock in the morning because she maybe saw a shadow of a spider like there there's nothing about that fear that makes sense at all. But in that moment, I felt like the waters of my spiritual life had just become so murky that um, everything that I had learned about endurance, just make it through the next step. Don't think about how this is going to feel two hours from now. It all, all of those skills had left me in that moment. I think I was so tired that I just didn't have any more coping me mechanisms, if that makes sense. Yeah. My coping mechanisms were, hey, there's so much to look forward to, just make yeah. it through this day. But, and so I think you had a previous question of how do I see that coming? Yeah. Well, well first, let's talk, let's talk about that fear uh, for a second. You said something that was kind of interesting because, you know, fear is Ill illogical. And, um, but I've, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like you're in that place where it's you don't care about, uh, you know, your goals or you just know that you feel unsafe. Yeah. And this emotion just kicks in. And it's like you can't you can't think or 
logic right. your way out of that, right? right. It's, it's right. fear is just uh, like it grips you. Yeah, people who struggle with suicide, um, you know, talk about uh, what 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 is it? I don't think this is the term. I'll go back to a running term. A running term is that you can get into something called the pain cave. And so the pain cave is a place where you, everything becomes so dark that you just cannot possibly see your way out of it. Like it just hurts so bad that, um, that you just don't, that you've lost all um, coping mechanisms that you, that you don't think that there's any way that you can get out of this, that the pain is way greater than any type of pay, payoff could be. And so I think in that moment, that's the way that I felt, you know, that this had just become such a big problem that I just cannot see past the problem. I cannot see that there are going to be better days tomorrow. There's a big problem today, and I just don't know how to overcome it. And so I had gotten to that. It's amazing what uh, a good night's sleep will do. It's amazing what community will do. Um, you know, just even coming out of isolation, it's amazing what even physical health and returning back to physical health will do. Most pains are temporary. They do pass, even in the running world. You know, you feel pain, but your pain does not extrapol get extrapolated out, and you don't always feel worse. Pain comes in waves. Pain comes in seasons. But when you're in that pain cave, you can't see that. The only thing that you can see is the darkness in front of you. And so that was a, that was a hard time. What, what did this, uh, that period do, um, uh, to your heart and mainly about, about empathy for others and even for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think as I've gotten older period, um, you know, I, I, I heard a great podcast with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Polinka, he's the general manager of the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. Rob Polinka. Yep. Rob Polinka had a chance to sit down with Kobe Bryant after the end of his career. His career had just ended, and he sat down and he asked Kobe Bryant, "Like, hey, if you were to do anything over again, what would it be?" And he was actually surprised by Kobe's answer. He said, "You know, I think I would have shown more empathy," which actually seems exactly opposite from the Mamba mentality, right? Yep. Mamba mentality is all about it's my way or the highway. And so in the beginning of Kobe's career, that's very much so kind of what happened with Shaq. You know, man, how many more championships would Kobe had won if Shaq was still around? But that wasn't necessarily the case. And it's, I think especially for me, like I think trials, age, man, I think you just uh, just seeing a little bit less in black and white. I think I've gotten to a point where it's a little bit less black and white. It's a little bit less my way or the highway. And it's a little bit more that I cannot get us to a place that we need to go until I understand you and I understand what it is that you're going through. And even for me, like as I can, can I relate more with somebody's pain? Absolutely. Now that now before I could try and act like I could do my best to act as if I understood your pain and I would try and do the best that I could to put myself in your place. But still, it was a feigned, it was an acted empathy. I did the best that I could. Hmm. But I think when you've actually been there and experienced that, I think you begin to empathize with other people in a way that you couldn't before just because 
Now you can even put to words some of the things that they can't even put to words, that they're just kind of feeling. But you can even put to words some of the things that they're feeling because you've been through it. And now you can articulate it. And you can help them through it because now they really feel like you understand them. Let's stay on this empathy here for a second. Um, I, I read somewhere that our ability to show empathy uh, to other people is connected to our ability or lack of ability to show empathy to ourselves. Mm. And oftentimes the pastors are the worst ones. Like they, uh, pastors are the least empathetic to themselves and they're, they're, they're their own harshest critic. Um, what has God taught you about that? Showing empathy for yourself that you're not Superman. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. Especially coming from an Asian context. I, I, we are both Asian, come from an Asian American background. Um, we, uh, I don't know if how much of your audience is Asian American, but especially in light of the fact that, you know, you and I probably grew up with this success oriented mindset, this honor, shame mm-hmm. culture. And the way that you brought honor to yourself and the way that you brought honor to your family was through success, through your SAT scores, through how many trophies you won, through, um, through where you went to college. And so, you know, man, it's, it's amazing what a shadow of a father will do to you, you know? And my dad is so wonderful, and I have a relationship that's with him that's greater than it ever has been. As an Asian-American son, I'm blessed to say that not only, I mean, my father's still alive, but like I talk to my dad almost every day, which is like, is only a recent phenomenon, but I'm very blessed to say that. So all that to say that this isn't even necessarily um, dad imposed as much as it's self-imposed. Like mm-hmm. I want so much for my dad to be proud of me. Um, mm-hmm. When we built this building, we didn't even have our permanent occupancy just yet. You know, I showed my dad around the building and my dad said like oh i'm so proud of you i think i think i i i think that might have even been the first time in my whole life that i'd even heard that and i, I you know and i'm a 48 year old man like my 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 if i play golf with my mom you know and i hit a good shot and i'm an awful golfer i'm like the worst golfer in the world <laughs> but if i hit a good shot my mom will say good shot good shot and my mom doesn't even understand the impact of those two words. Like with two words, my mother can reduce me back to an eight-year-old child and what I felt when I was a child. Hmm. And so what it means to show empathy towards myself and to show kindness towards myself, wow, that is a lifelong journey. That it, do, and Your question is a good one. Has my ability to show empathy towards other people given me a greater ability to show empathy toward myself. I don't know if that's a, uh, I don't, I don't, I think I've been able to show more empathy towards myself over the years. I don't know if those two things have necessarily correlated itself though, because I think, I, I, I think, you know, I'm naturally a people pleaser. You know, I said before, like, Hey, it's my way or the highway. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a number seven on the Enneagram. So like I'm Mr. Fun, you know, I want to have fun. I want to hang out. I'm a people pleaser. Um, and so I do think there was this kind of, I'm not a high D I'm more of a high I than a high mm-hmm. D. And so I think I don't 
I don't think I've necessarily struggled as much in showing showing empathy towards other people as maybe some higher D leaders that I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on the disc profile. Sorry if I'm speaking mm-hmm. cryptic language, but but to show how have I learned to show um, grace towards myself? Man, that's that's that's. I I I think the way that I've learned to show grace towards myself is wow, I don't even know how to answer that question yeah. right now. Yeah. That's that's uh that's something that I've been trying to learn how to do. I I'm I'm sure that as I think about that, I could formulate a better answer. Yeah. That has been a lifelong journey for me. Yeah. yeah. Me too. And that's something that God's been uh, teaching me recently is, you know, like I, I, I think about the, you know, the self-critical things you, you say to yourself, you think, um, oh especially God. pastors, especially Asian American pastors, uh, you know, that's like the worst of all worlds. Right. Um, and if that, that critical voice, if, if it was, if it was a, a person like not you and that person came to your church and said those words to like one oh of God. your church members, yeah. you would have righteous anger. You would kick them out. You would protect <laughs> your people. You would, you know, you would get so mad. Right. But those same words are the words you say to yourself. Right. You know, like, right. you know, you're, you know, you're a loser. Yeah. You're always going to be like this. You know, you're, you, you know, all these things. And I've learned that, yeah, um, showing, you know, showing ourselves empathy, yeah. uh, showing yourself empathy, it actually, for me, and other people have talked about it, and people written about it, it increases your ability to be empathetic to other people. Yeah. Because cause one of the things, um, I think Brene Brown talks about this, and she says, um, like, if you don't show empathy to yourself, and especially during, like, this COVID situation, you know, what we do is uh, um, we compare our level of suffering to another person's mm. and we say, oh, you know what? There, there's people out there who's suffering more. Um, so I'm going to stuff it. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to push it down. Sure. So you don't show empathy to yourself. And then later on, when you hear someone else complaining mm. about the same things that you feel, you say to them, like, who do you think you are? Yeah. Why are you complaining? Right. And then you don't have the ability to be empathetic to that person because you didn't allow yourself to be empathetic to yourself. Sure. So part of it is, I, I think there's a cycle. Like we, we, we don't show empathy to ourselves and then we don't, it spills out to other people. And, so, and, and you know what, even to that point and even talking about self care, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've realized is that I need to have energy in order to have empathy. Hmm. So, so if I'm, regardless of what my own personal scorecard may look like, because we all have this definition of whatever success may look like in our lives, right? Um, that, that regardless of the scorecard, that a lot of times if I'm just tired, I'm unkind. And again, hmm. even going back to the pain cave, we're so... There's so much pain that we've lost our coping mechanisms. And so even for me, I've realized that I need to begin to even understand when my own water looks murky and when it is that my own water looks clearer. 
Because a lot of times you don't even realize that you're tired and emotionally tired. Uh, many times we know when we're physically tired. That's something that's easy to detect. I remember, I remember at the end of our first year of being a church, we had grown. Um, the first year we had seen a lot of growth in our first year. Uh, we wanted to be able to keep that growth going. And so we had uh, somebody come in and do a day's workshop with us to help us do some strategic planning. And after that time, he took me out for coffee and he said, okay, Mark, I know how the church is doing. I know how the team is doing. I spent the whole day with the team. Now I want to know how you're doing. And all of a sudden I started crying. It was so embarrassing. We were at Barnes and Nobles and it was just all. And in that moment, I had been living off of such adrenaline that I didn't even know that I was tired until he asked that question. And, and, and because no one, no one, you're, you're constantly asking other people how right. they're doing and your work and who's caring for, for your soul. Yeah. And, and this, this is what I found in myself. I, I relate to that except for the Barnes and Noble. Uh, what's Barnes <laughs> and Noble anyways? That, that one else. <laughs> there's one, there's one more. Um, it's that we try to be the best shepherd and pastor to other people yeah. and we're terrible at shepherding our own soul. Yeah, that's We're right. just terrible at it. Right? Like, where did that come from? That, that emotion, just when he asked you, just someone that cared about you. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? I mean, it's just, you're exhausted. You're. Yeah. I mean, I had worked so hard during that first year and I think, I think it's, it, it's okay. Going back to even the point that it's impossible to have a life of balance. I think, I don't think we should look at balance in terms of day to day. I think we should look uh, look at, uh, I think it's important not to look at balance, but to look at rhythms. There are different rhythms in life and there are different seasons for things. You know, there's a season of hard work and there needs to be a season of rest. Not too many church planters have perfect balance in the first year. And I think that's okay. I think, I think a lot of, families who have a baby that just have a baby aren't going to live a life of perfect balance. And that's okay. It's a season. But I think it's uh, so important to live in terms of just these rhythms. Um, so I, wait, I forgot your original question. What did you just ask me? No, 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 no. Let's talk about rhythms. I, I like that. I like, I like uh, getting back to, um, okay, there's no such thing as balance. Instead, there's rhythms. You got to right. There's certain seasons to go hard and and focus on certain things, if but it can't be forever. It can't be forever, right? If we're not exhausted at the end of Christmas, if we're not exhausted at the end of Easter, we did it wrong. That's what I tell my team. And so there's a place for absolutely putting the pedal to the metal. And I mean, that's exhilarating. That's life-giving. I don't want to have balance during those times. But man, if that is the way that we consistently live our lives, we will eventually end up in a ditch at that point. Vice versa, there are also seasons where I don't have to work 40 hours. I can work 20 to 30 hours and I cannot feel guilty about it, you know? But we have just this super weird idea in our heads of what it means to live that, you know what balance means? Balance to me means mediocrity. You know, hmm. just living life totally in the middle. 
I want to live life to the extremes, but at the same time, I can't be at either extreme for very long without absolutely torching my life in the process. And so, and so, so I, I think one of the things as we even talk about, um, uh, even as we talk about, you know, the water being clear or the water being muddy is even for me, one of the things that I look for is how much am I prone to temptation in my life right now? So am I prone to Medicaid? Am I prone? Am I buying too much right now? Like, am I, am I even tempted at this point to avert my eyes to places that I shouldn't? Am I prone to self-pity? That's something that pastors feel all the time, right? When I find myself saying too much, so like, how come I'm the only one who cares about this church? How come I'm the only one who works hard? If I'm not creative and I'm constantly recycling things, if I'm prone to misunderstand people that I work with, because boy, does that happen all the time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Those are some of the things that I look for in my life. Am I suspicious? Am I overly suspicious of staff people? Because if I begin to go there, then the first question that I ask is not how dare they say that or how dare they do that. The first question that I ask, which is a question that I've asked myself today, by the way, is, is there something wrong with me? Because if there's, because if I'm feeling these things, it may not even be them. It may be me. And so one of the things that I really kind of focus on at that point is, man, I need to focus on, uh, that the more withdrawals I make, the more deposits I have to make. We make, as pastors, we make all the withdrawals in the world, right? We're constantly caring for other people, but it's just like a bank account. We're constantly making withdrawals, but we're not making deposits. In our own selves, you mean? In our own selves, then we're going to be bankrupt. We're going to be emotionally, we're going to be spiritually bankrupt. We don't, I, there, there, I, I think during the COVID season, I'll just speak of myself. I may have worked less hours than I have in the past, but I have probably borne a greater weight and a greater pressure than I have in my entire life. And I think it's okay to give ourselves permission to just say, you know what? It's a season and you just need to make a lot more deposits during this time. One of the one of the phrases I've used with our staff too is that an unhealthy rhythm in 2021 means that you don't even make it to 2022. So mm. it's our it's easy in the culture of our staff to think like, oh my gosh, people are coming back. We need to just rev the engines and we need to go all out. We got this shiny new uh, new building, got this uh, new building that we've been working so hard. We got to use it to, you know, fill it up and do all these programs oh. and people. People are tired. But instead, I've decided, even for my own rhythm, to preach less in this year than I will ever preach in the 14 year, 13 years of Vantage Point. Because, like, I noticed that you had a, you had a couple of guys this last two weeks. I, yeah. I looked at your last uh, the series you're doing. And I'm, you know? and I'm really trying to take a much more proactive role in, in, in training young communicators, too. So, so, one of the things I've been asking myself is, hey, like, how do you not just take a week off from preaching anyway? <laughs> this guy this weekend was like, hey, what you been doing for the past couple of weeks? I'm like, hey, it, it, 
I think it's hard for people to understand that, you know, that our job isn't just preaching, right? Mm -hmm. We have to like make sure that the ship is still floating. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's been nice to just kind of going, um, how in the, I don't know, 20 years that I've been preaching, how can I take some of the things that I've learned and pass that on to younger communicators? So even that stuff that I've been thinking about right now, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I wanted to, um, actually pick your brain about two thoughts, uh, that you shared with, with, uh, the church planters that I found very useful and very helpful. Um, you, you had, you taught us about having, setting these, these rhythms, you know, like how do you set these rhythm rhythms intentionally? And then I also want to um, ask you to share about your, what you learned about rest, about physical rest, about sleep and, and all that. Yeah. So let's first talk about rhythms. Like, like how do we, okay. How do I not get, um, so low and useless and worthless, you know, like under that broom tree. Yeah. Like how do I become <laughs> intentional uh, with my rhythms now? Yeah. Like what are some advice? What, what have you learned? Yeah. I, I think one of the things um, that I've learned, I, I, I think, uh, who was it? Calvin said to know self is to know God. I think it's, it, 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 it starts with it starts with the, the, of course, the biblical idea that there seems to be this rhythm of what I do every day, this rhythm of Sabbath that I do every week, this rhythm of Sabbath that I do every year. There are different rhythms of life that follow, you know, the rhythms of the solar system, even. God has created a divine rhythm of the day, the week, the month, the the quarter, which is the season and the year. So I do think that the Bible speaks to some of those things. So I'd love to talk about that first. Like, yes, let's talk about that. So like, I mean, this sounds so remedial, but I mean, even just the daily habit of meeting with God sounds so elementary, but it's almost kind of like what Dave Ramsey says about money, right? It's, uh, uh, it's 20% head knowledge and it's 80% what you actually do. Mm -hmm. ha meeting with the Lord every single day and making him the center and the focal point of my life where I am listening to him and speaking with him and having a dialogue with him, spending time with him. That is so easy to talk about, but that is so difficult to make a habit out of every day. And so what, uh, there was a question that somebody asked me just yesterday, Mark, when did you start running and how did you just make that a part of the habit of your life? Um, when I went into this church planting journey, even my quiet time wasn't very stable and consistent. And so as I had, as I was going into church, but not, you know, in the weekly rigmarole of church just yet, one of the things that I established was this idea that, like, if I don't get self-leadership right during the season before the church begins, the formal church, the church as our little organization begins, well, then, like, we're going to die. I'm going to die because, the, because I won't be able to um, uphold the weight of the church that I'm about to carry. And so, you know, that's when I really got my own personal habit set, my own quiet time, my own, um, my own, uh, 
my own uh, my own date night, my own relational habit set, my own physical habit set. I remember talking to somebody before the, uh, to a church planter, and I was like, "It's gonna during this season. It's gonna be really important to take care of your health, to work out, to run, to do something." It was like, I just don't have time to do that. Hmm. And I said, listen, the president of the United States has time to work out. And so if the president of the United States has time to work out, then you have time to work out. So it's not necessarily if we have time or if we don't have time, it's, is this really a priority in our lives? It's that I don't have time, extra time without having to change anything. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. Like. Like, yeah, I can't, I don't have any extra time. Um, You said something I love, and this is what I use in my personal leadership training and discipleship. Um, I, I use the word habits. I use, and that is key yeah. uh, with what I believe is what discipleship is. Like yeah. teach them to obey all I have commanded yeah. is, is really about teaching the habits of, of, you know, like letting the word of God dwell in you richly. And yeah. it's just teaching those, teaching those habits. And a lot of people, I think one of the reasons why we get away from talking about spiritual disciplines is that we're afraid of it sounding legalistic. Right. Um, but uh, I started using the word habits to say, hey, this is not about obedience. This is just about you building the, a habit that will impact the rest of your life yeah so yeah so you were you have to be intentional though like habits uh especially new habits they don't create themselves right you have to be intentional about that so you said during the season you were you realized you had to be intentional with these specific habits yeah and so even in the beginning of every year, my wife and I still talk about these different categories and we set goals and we try and establish new habits, but spiritually, physically, relationally, financially, like how do we begin to address some of these different areas of our lives? I think relational, a relational habit is something that has been so life-giving for us as a couple, for me as an individual, and I think as a habit too, is just the just the uh, the fostering of true friendships you know we as we as pastors talk about real community all the time but oftentimes it's incredibly lonely for us and so for me and my wife even we are like are we even developing true friendships in our small group i would like to think that we are however one of the things that we even set out to do is we set out to say who this is what we do every year. In the beginning of every year on January, we set out four couples that we want to connect with on that year. In January, we choose the dates from January through December of when it is that we're going to have our date nights with these couples. And then we go ahead and move forward with that because we found ourselves being any pastor struggles with this, but we found ourselves being in a very lonely, very isolated yeah. place. And so that that was really important. That was another habit that was an important to us too. Yeah. I love the intentionality part because if you don't set, you know, if you don't set that up, um, it's just not going to happen. We all have is, good intentions. Yeah. yeah. The, prob- the problem is that very rarely do we follow up on those intentions. 
and yeah. I, and I think for pastors too, a lot of pastors struggle with their finances. Mm-hmm. I, I think we get the tithing part right. And, and, and I think that's important to us and giving back to the Lord. I think that's super important to us. I mean, that's always been important to my wife and I. That's something that we've done ever since the beginning, tithing and beyond. But it's so easy to have the rest of your financial life be a mess. And thus, then allowing that to create stress. The water just gets murky every place else. If we don't have our financial lives right, then yeah. oftentimes then I'm too tired to even deal with the things at work. It's causing stress at home and yeah. all those different things. So yeah, all those habits were, yeah. are, were really important to us. The, the, the stress about finances for a lot of pastors that I, I hear is that they make decisions because um, they, because of financial, uh, you know, they're, they're afraid of the financial impact. Yeah. Like if, Hey, if we make, if we make this change, what about that uh, family you know, they're not going to like it. They're going to stop giving. They're going to, you know, so we don't, we're not obedient to God's calling sometimes because of the fear of finances, because, you know, and I, I hear, I hear that just, if you have that, if you take care of your finances, it removes some of that stress and that burden. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other ways to really kind of look at rhythms is just like, just like the intentionality with relationships. I think it's, so important to be able to, this is what I do anyway. It's just so important for me. It's to be able to chart out my year. So so, so you were talking about daily, weekly, yearly. Um, and you're, you're very intentional about, about certain times of even the week and then having some, some uh, retreats and other things to get away. So uh, like, let's, let's talk about that, how, how you plan that. Okay, so um, how I plan my, well, well, like how I plan my week, is that what you're asking? How I plan my week and how I plan my year or how I plan yeah. my day off? Um, just, well, both, but like how, just seeing that it has to be intentional. Everything that you do, uh, like is done with intentionality to yeah. make sure that your, your soul's in the right place. Yeah. Like, yeah. So first off, give us a picture of your, your plans, your rhythms. And then let's talk about um, how you got there. Yeah. So what do you do? Um, what One of the things that I do is I uh, go ahead and look at... One of the things that drains me the most is preaching too much. And I know that just through experience. So if I preach, let's say, even four to five weeks in a row, I begin to see double. So... Uh, I, I call it that I turn into the Snickers guy. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Snickers guy? Remember that commercial? The, the hungry guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hungry yeah. guy. He's all grumpy. And then it's like, yeah. hey, just feed him a Snickers. Like I turn into the Snickers guy. And so I think it's important to know what it is that triggers you so that you can have a solution to whatever problem it is. Because everybody has a different stamina level and everybody has a different place at which they become the Snickers guy. The place at which the water starts to become murky. And mm. so for me, uh, one of the things that I, I do as I just chart out my year is I go, okay, I begin to see when it is, uh, when I look at, let's say my preaching calendar, I look at when I don't preach first and not when I preach. So I go, okay, this is my anniversary. So I'm definitely gone. This is my birthday. So I'm gone. This is the 4th of July. So I'm going to give that to the youth pastor. This is Memorial Day. I'm going to give that to the youth pastor as well. 
I, I, I make sure that I have about 17 times on the calendar where I'm not in the pulpit because I know that if I preach too much, that it's just going to become taxing for me. So I look at how many weeks in a row is, is, is that? How many weeks in a row? I usually at this point, I'm 13 years into it. I understand that a church planner who's only a year into it doesn't get this luxury, but Oh, but to answer your question, um, I usually preach, I think this year I'm going to end up preaching 30 times out of 52 times, but I traditionally have spoken about 35 to 37 times, I would say over the past, um, I'd say about the past five years or so. But this is where it's easy for some people to go, oh, I could never do that and then just never do it. But I think the point is, hey, could we work towards it? Do you think maybe you could just take, if it is something that's tiring for you, and if it is something that's a withdrawal and not a deposit, I'm not saying anybody has to follow my certain rhythm. If it is a withdrawal and not a deposit, then how can we get to a place that we want to get to over, let's say, within the course of the next couple of years or so, you know? So um, I do that. I usually take off about a month. Uh, during the summer. And that started with just a week. It took me a while before I could take a week's vacation. And then I ran into a mentor of mine. And he said that he's never taken a sabbatical. He doesn't have any problem with pastors that take sabbaticals. But he just said that what he tries to do is he tries to break apart his sabbatical into equal years. So instead of taking, let's say, 14 weeks at one time, take two more weeks a year for seven years. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Add that to his vacation time. So I was like, I'm going to do that. So I started taking two weeks and then eventually I worked up to three weeks and this summer I'm going to end up taking four weeks off for the first time. Is it, is it a off or is it a quote study break or is it like, I'm not like, I'm going to, to Europe or you know, sit on the beach. What what are you doing there? That's a great question. It used to be because of my very progressive nature, like a progress oriented nature that I would tell my wife, okay, we're going to be away, but you know, this is a work trip too. This is more of like a sabbatical. So I'm going to be working in the morning, but I'll be with you at night um, from lunch on. And that's when, that's when, I don't know. After a while, I just came to this realization that um, that the purpose is, uh, I think, more to rest and to almost kind of like part of the reason why you get a babysitter is that you want to look forward to seeing the kids again. You know, <laughs> you want to get to a place where like, you know what? I cannot wait to see Judah. Oh, my gosh. I forgot how much I love that kid with all of his craziness at all. So I realized that, man, that's the primary objective of whatever time I take off. That I need to do whatever I can to get to a place where I'm like, freaking, I cannot wait to go back to church and I cannot wait to get back to work. So what I do now is I don't do anything until I feel the itch and this burning in my bosom to start writing down or reading or doing something. Once I feel that, then I do respond to it, but I don't force myself into anything simply because the church needs to get its money worth. The church will get its money's worth from me if I don't quit. Yep. Yep. 
That's great. The um, knowing you, and we we had this talk um, about about preaching, how you you love to preach, and even the way you do it. And let let me just tell you, Mark, um, you are a very good uh, getting close to a great communicator. Oh. And and um, you you just have a gift about you. And this is the thing. I think a lot of people, uh, pastors, don't want to give that up because they're thinking, well, you know what? Um, no one's going to be as good as me. No, like the church needs me to do this. I, you know, uh, knowing how critical and how focused and planned you are, like you, you write a script, you memorize the script, you, you go over it. You're very, very wow, precise, right? Yeah. We've talked about right? it. Right. <laughs> and, but all of a sudden, 17, 20 times a year, you know, you're, you're getting the youth pastor up there. You're getting, how did you, how, how did you change it? How did you let go? Because I know for a fact, you don't, you, you're not as critical with them as you are with yourself. You kind of let it go a little bit. Um, like what did God have to do in, in your heart to, to, to break you of that, of that performance? Um, you know, uh, that level of, of, yeah, expectation for others? That's such a great question. Just because I think some pastors own the pulpit, not even because of vanity. I'm sure there's somebody out there that does that. I think most pastors own the pulpit. My, my old senior pastor, Mark Hopper at Diamond Bar, love the good death. He, he said, um, I preach as much as I did just because that I, 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 I felt like I wasn't working otherwise. And I just wanted the church to get their money's worth. You know, he comes from a generation of hard workers. And so that was just, that was just his idea of what it meant to work hard. And I, I and I appreciate that. I think for me, what's ended up um, kind of moving the needle away from me preaching more and more is that, um, and I don't know if this, I think it relates to me as a preacher, but as time, but it definitely relates to the church itself, the local church. And that is, there's just this very strange, it's going to be a very strange idea, but it bears itself out historically. Um, this is true of local churches, that as time goes on, the Holy Spirit leaves the church. That's a weird statement, but it's historically true. Because we know that no church lasts forever. Hmm. So as time goes on, the Holy Spirit leaves the church. And, and, and so one of the things that I'm constantly going to God and to other people is, how do I desperately seek the Holy Spirit and his presence to remain at our church? I think part of that is that it's inevitable that the Holy Spirit will leave and the only way to make sure that the Holy Spirit leaves it in a good way is that if you plant new churches, hmm. that's, that's the only way to outlive yourself. That's the only way to, you know, outrun the Holy Spirit. It's to run with him and to make sure that you're planting as many churches as possible. And so I think if we're to plant as many churches, then what's true of the church is also true of me. And, and not that the Holy Spirit is going to leave me because I think I can have a more intimate walk with God as time goes on, but I just need to be as much as is possible taking whatever it is that I've learned throughout the years. Now that I'm 48 years old, it's, it's hard to imagine that I'm now the senior pastor. 
I'm the guy that I used to complain about when I was an associate yeah. pastor. And, and I am now not, maybe not yet, maybe I am, but I'm reaching more of a sage role, a Gandalf role. It's hard to think that because I'm so used to being the young guy on staff. So, You're Mr. Miyagi. You're Mr. Miyagi now. That's, uh, it's so that's how... it's so hard to think that way, isn't it? Yep. Yep. But now one of the things that I've constantly, uh, the, the definition of success used to be how many people come to Vantage Point. And now mm. the definition of success is how many people can leave Vantage Point. So the definition of success used to be how good can I be? And now the definition of success, now that I'm most likely next year, I'm going to start the second half, most likely of my career at Vantage Point. Um, the second half of my career now, I really want to focus on how can I make other people as good as they can be? Yeah. And so what's helped me let go of the pulpit is not this idea that I am becoming obscure and that people are going to forget about me, which is okay. I mean, I'm sure John the Baptist struggled with that. Like, really? Like, am I nobody? He's sitting in prison. Like, mm. he doesn't even know what's going on. He must become greater and I must become less. That has to be my heartbeat, that yeah. I must become less. So who freaking cares about my obscurity? It's not about me anyway. Yeah. But, but we have a system where all of our communicators have to submit a written manuscript to the teaching team three weeks in advance. Two weeks in advance, you have to perform it to the teaching team. This is me included. So I have to still perform my sermon two weeks in advance to all the communicators in our church. And then the week before is all about getting your slides to production and refining and polishing at that point. Like all of a sudden, um, like I'm in much more of a mentoring role where even on Sunday, as I hear somebody else preaching, I'm not just thinking about how obscure I am. I'm just thinking about how useful I'm being in helping put rockets on somebody else's how I'm helping now put fuel in somebody else's rocket. And that has really helped me instead of just thinking, Oh, I'm not preaching. I'm not of any use. What, what am I really doing here on this Sunday? Now I even, um, it's helped me to even think that I can hear my voice through somebody else's voice. Now, does that make sense? Yeah. It isn't a lot. Of, it isn't a lot of fun. I mean, being the, being the cheerleader, being the the mentor, Yeah, you know, there, there's there's something really fun and rewarding about it. I I think it's even more rewarding than succeeding. What's better than hitting a home run is seeing your child hit a home run. Mm -hmm. And I think, and it's something that you do have to get used to a little bit. So I don't want to pretend like it's so easy the first time it happens. But what's even better than me hitting a home run of a sermon is for me to see another communicator at church hit a home run to hear everybody else talk about how wonderful their sermon was. And then for me to think like, oh my gosh, like I had a part to play in that. I think that's the best way for me to outlive myself because my preaching is going to, I don't know how much longer, I mean, my preaching is still going to last for a little while, but that's how shallow people think. Yeah, I think deeper people think, how does my voice last forever? And the way that my voice lasts forever is for me to invest in dis disciples who will disciple other people. Yeah, to multiply yourself. Yeah. That's great. Um, wanted to ask you about what, uh, what you learned about 
sleep and rest and physical rhythms. Uh, I think your your focus as a as a runner as an athlete really has helped me yeah. understand that the importance of that. Yeah, it has. Um, you know, I, I I think a lot of people think, uh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, uh, they think that uh, that if we um, that the less we sleep, that the more time we have to be active and the more time we have to be productive and the more time we have to move the ball forward. But research actually tells us the exact opposite of that, that when you think about the most elite athletes in the world, if you think about the most elite runners in the world, and I've even heard this recently about LeBron James as well, that he tries to get 10 hours of sleep a night and tries to take a two hour nap during the day. So most professional athletes are asleep as long as they're awake. And, and I, I think there's this whole idea of the 10,000 hour rule. So the 10,000 hour rule, um, I, I think it may be in the book Out, Outliers by yeah, Gladwell, Gladwell, Gladwell. Mm-hmm. talks about how we need 10,000 hours to attain this level of mastery. And that's true that we need to work and we need to work and we need to work. And it's not necessarily about natural talent, but it's about this, this gritty effort of how much I'm going to be in the trenches and really just give myself, commit myself, exhaust myself to the endeavor. And that's true. But what most people don't know about the 10,000 hour rule study was that these people also slept as hard as they were. And their rest then allowed them to, on the next day, work as hard as they did. Oftentimes, what we do is that we work hard, we don't rest well, we get to the next day, and we're not as creative. It's cloudy. We're grumpy. Our judgment is impaired. We, you, you just can't be as creative. And we're not just talking about content creation, but we're also talking about problem solving at this point. Think about a typical two-hour meeting. Man, you start out really good at the beginning, and you just cannot see left from right by the end of that meeting. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And even that in itself gives you this idea of, like, I'm just much more productive when the tank is full, and I'm just much less productive when the tank is empty. And so I learned this from Larry Osborne, but I don't set an alarm clock at night. I wake up when I wake up. Because my body is not going to sleep forever. My body tells me when I've been rested enough. And so I try not to sleep with it. I do not sleep with an alarm clock. And um, I, I, I had gotten to, I've always been such, my wife calls me an energizer bunny. I've always been so active. It's been difficult for me to ever take a nap. But I've realized that if even if I just close my eyes for 30 minutes, that it is, it's life-giving and it just helps me and uh, it just keeps the water still running clear. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh, last question here. Think back to young Mark and like, what advice, what would you tell him today specifically about these, what we're talking about self-care imagining because this is this is what we want to say to those pastors out there who are also struggling so what what advice would you tell yourself uh younger mark well that's a great question um 
this probably goes to maybe kind of the biggest aha moment that I think ministry has done for me that I would want to share with a younger version of me. And that is, I think I went into the church thinking that I was going to save the church, that I was going to save the people in the church, only to realize that the church was there to save me. Hmm. Like, I remember reading one time in a church planting book, it was Stephen, Steve Shogren's not conspiracy of yeah. kindness, but community of kindness. So yeah. conspiracy of kindness was a, uh, like a servant evangelism book an outreach yeah. book. And then he wrote a church planting book called community of kindness. And there's this one chapter that's always stuck with me. It said, um, uh, you know, tip number 53, uh, put money aside right now for the, for the counseling that you'll need later on, on your anger <laughs> issues. <laughs> yep, yep. And I was like, that is the craziest chapter in the world. I never thought I needed counseling. I never thought that I would, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for other people. I'm out to save the world. Look at how amazing that I am. Only to realize, man, that this church has brought out, uh, the best and it's brought out the worst in me. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It, it brought out the worst in me because it was already there to begin with. It didn't just arrive. It was always there in me. It just surfaced. And now I had a choice between dealing with that in a healthy way or really just kind of suppressing that. And whenever these anger issues or betrayal issues or suspicion issues they always come up. Why do why don't these staff people do what I want them to do? What why don't these these church people listen to me? I don't understand what's going on. All of these frustration issues really begin to surface not in my mind it's 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 grown to show me over time that the real problem isn't with them but that the real problem is with me. That yeah. that that the problem is with them in terms of the fact that do they need spiritual growth in these different areas? Absolutely. But it's shown me that I've needed growth by the way that I've reacted to them. And if yeah. I'm responding in anger and frustration and betrayal and sub suspicion, that's not a them problem. That's a, that's totally a me problem. Yeah. And so, and so, I, I I would I, what I would tell a younger Mark is, hey, you're gonna be you're gonna be really upset and you're gonna be really angry at a lot of things, but before you go and fix somebody else, man, there are a lot of things that you need to look internally about, and just to first ask yourself the question before you pull the pull the speck out of somebody else's eye, man, just slow down just for a second. And, um, and, and think, why are these emotions coming out in me? And why are they coming out so severely? What does this tell me about myself? And what do I need to do about myself first before I even fix somebody else? That's a, that's a tough lesson. Yeah, that's great. That the church is, is a tool of our sanctification. Mm. The church is there for us Yeah. also. I mean, that's, yeah. Um, Mark, I, I want to appreciate your your just your wisdom and your 
honesty here. Um, we got to uh, uh, schedule another time to talk about. There's a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about, about leading your team. Uh, you know, you have a multicultural, multi-ethnic church, and you're leading a team through all these different things. And and I, I would just love to even talk about uh, those things in the future. Yeah. But um, in, in closing, I, I want to ask, could you could you uh, say a prayer for the struggling pastors out there who may be going through some of these things? Can you just pray for, for God's blessing and, and, and presence Absolutely. in their lives? And we'll, we'll close uh, with that. That'd be a privilege. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for all of those who have taken the time um, to listen to this podcast, Lord God, it, it does not, it, it, we do not take it lightly, Father, that people have taken an hour, a uh, half hour, some time out of their life to, to just have their tank filled, Lord God. And Father, and so we pray for them. We know that, that especially during this season, Father, there's just a lot of fatigue and there's a lot of, there's a lot of just uh, ministry uh, um, emotions that are going out there. And, 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 and I pray that, Lord God, that we would see you for who you are, that you are a God that is in control. And when we see a world that is spinning out of control, Father, that we would always bring it back to the fact that we have a God who is completely in control. And if you are completely in control, then you are always working things for your good. And if you are always working for your good, then there is something that there is a purpose for what it is that we're experiencing right now. Father, we don't like pain. We like comfort. But given the fact that you are a loving God, Lord, help constantly remind us that whatever pain we may feel, that it's not to hurt us, but it's to help us. That it's not to uh, destroy us, but it's to build us. Father, Help us to see that you are a good God that is constantly remaking us in your image. And if we're feeling anything, tiredness, fatigue, Lord God, we know that it is your strength that will always carry us to the finish line. And so we ask for that, Lord God, that you would carry us, that you would be our paraclete, Father, that you would be the one who sustains us to the very end. Lord God, we love you so much. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Struggling Pastors podcast. My name is Tian Doan, and I hope this has been helpful to you. If you found it helpful, I'd appreciate if you would share this podcast with a fellow struggling pastor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me close with a Bible verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Pastor, do not give up. Until next time, God bless you.